Hi everyone, welcome back to the TEFL Training Institute podcast. I'm Ross Thorburn, and this week we're talking about collecting data from our classes for action research. To help us with that this week, we have Professor Anne Burns from the University of New South Wales, Sydney. Anne has written a huge amount over the years about action research, including Perspectives on Action Research, Doing Action Research in English Language Teaching, A Guide for Practitioners, and along with Jack Richards, The Cambridge Guide to Second Language Teacher Education. In this week's episodes, I asked Dan about some of the different ways that teachers can go about collecting data in their classrooms. Anne talks about some interesting examples of action research. And finally, what teachers can do with their action research project after they've done it. Enjoy the interview. Hi, Anne. So to start off with, let's talk a bit about types of research. It's my understanding that action research is usually more qualitative than quantitative. Do you want to tell us a bit about the difference between the two and why can qualitative research be useful for teachers? Okay, well, I'd like to wind back a bit um, because I think there's an assumption that action research is only done qualitatively. And I, I hear this a lot in workshops and, and presentations that I give where people ask about this and think that, you know, it's a qualitative approach. Well, I would argue that it's actually can be either. You can collect quantitative data in action research just as much as you can collect qualitative data. I guess one of the sort of rationale behind that question of whether action research is qualitative is that the teachers, well, language teachers particularly, are not usually trained in statistics. So it's not an either or, it's a type of research where the methodology that you use has to suit the research questions and be relevant to the kind of topics that you're interested in. So it's just as important to think about whether part of the data you collect will be quantitative, as in surveys, or whether it's going to be more qualitative, as in interviews or observations. So I think those are choices that go back to the sort of topic that you want to investigate and also to the questions that you want to explore. So there's no reason why you can't mix and match the methods and use both. And there's another way of looking at this. I've sometimes talked to teachers about using observational type methods, which could be making recordings of the classroom, observing what's going on through an observation sheet, using transcripts, taking recordings of the classroom, audio or, or video recordings, or even photographs and snapshots of what's happening at different points in the activity. So those are kind of more observational type techniques. And then there's non-observational ones, which are more like interviews and um, uh, focus groups, for example would be more non-observation, where you're really trying to capture people's thoughts or opinions or ideas about something. Yeah. So it's a contrast between, you know, what you can see in front of you, and which is observable, and what is sort of internal and maybe hidden from view. That's so interesting. I really like that idea of dividing research into looking at things that are observable and looking to things which aren't. I know one really common way that teachers often collect data about something happening in their lessons, which might be unobservable or below the surface, is by writing a journal 
Can you tell us a bit about that? Like, how is it that by writing a journal, like, how can that actually count as being evidence about teaching? Yes, it sounds like something you just do for professional, your own professional development. But actually, it's a very, it can be a very useful tool in action research because it can help the researcher to keep track of where their thoughts are going and where their ideas are going and what new insights or discoveries they're making as they go along in the process. I guess I'd probably say, though, that if you rely only on that source of data, it could be a little one-sided or a little skewed because it may not fully capture the other side of the coin, as it were, of what's happening for other people who are involved in the process. So usually I, I suggest to teachers that they use a few methods, you know, not to overload themselves with different ways to collect data, but maybe to combine things. So a reflective journal could easily be combined with, say, a short questionnaire or an interview with students. So that the teacher's point of view, which could be self-reflective, and then the student's perspective on the things the teacher may have observed or noticed could really complement each other so that you get what's called in research a triangulated view of what's happening in the research situation rather than relying on data which may be skewed only to one perspective. Do you want to tell us about capturing data that is more observable? I know before that you've mentioned that teachers can use photos, for example, as data in action research. What could teachers use photographs as evidence for? Hmm. Well, for example, if you wanted to look at student engagement and you wanted to look at to what extent were students absorbed in the activity that you set up, some snapshots of, say, doing group work or pair work could be very, very useful. And I mean, it's very easy to take photos now on mobile phones. And you could even have a, a class photographer using one of the students who might be prepared to take photos and participate in the research with you. Because one of the things that isn't used enough, I don't think, in action research is bringing in the students as co-researchers. So you could do some quite interesting analyses from these photographs looking at to what extent the body language of the students was showing you that they were participating with some kind of enthusiasm or engagement in the activity. Um, another example, which is not exactly photographs, but which one of my colleagues who participated in action research used quite some time ago, was mapping the classroom. She was working with refugee students who had come to Australia recently and she was very concerned about the classroom dynamic and the negativity that was operating in the classroom. So she began to map with a diagram where people positioned themselves in the classroom, where they set themselves up, who they sat next to, who they didn't sat next to, did they sit next to anybody at all? And she discovered that there was a lot of underlying cultural animosity amongst that group for various political and historical reasons from the country where they'd come from. But the mapping of where students sat and how they interacted really helped her to uncover some of the hidden things that were going on, which she was really not aware of for quite some time. She was very disturbed as the teacher because 
she was experienced and experienced with teaching um, immigrants and refugees who'd only just come to the country over many years. So she just could not work out why the classroom dynamics were so negative and so difficult for that particular group. So her research really helped her to uncover things that were really beneath the surface. Yeah, that's an amazing example. I think that's something that someone, I guess, from outside of that culture would just have no idea about to begin with. But just by going through those steps, it's possible to uncover what's really happening in the classroom. You mentioned earlier involving students in collecting data and and conducting research alongside the teacher. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yes, yes. Well, unlike in action research, exploratory practice, which was uh, strongly developed by Dick Allwright and some colleagues of his in Brazil, and more recently by Judith Hanks in the UK, the philosophy of that approach is much more directly focused on involving students. So exploratory practice brings in students in a very deliberate way and and involves them as co-researchers. Action research also, I think, can well bring in students to be co-researchers with the teacher in the classroom. And particularly some of the teachers that I work with here in Australia, they're teaching students who are going to go into university courses, some of whom are postgraduate and who are going to be doing research themselves. So if as teachers we can bring in students and ask them to assist us with the research, not only does that involve them much more directly into the research, they feel more personal ownership of it, and they also are very good informants about what methods could be used or what insights could be developed from um, having their participation. Finally, Anne, I wanted to ask you about what happens after teachers have collected data and done research on their classes. What should teachers do after that? I know that you've said it can be really useful for teachers to write up their findings from the research, but I know one of the dangers of action research is that it's not generalizable that what I found works in my classroom will not necessarily work in yours. So can you tell us a bit more about that, that generalizability problem and what you think about teachers writing up their findings? Sure, sure. Um, I just take up the point about generalization. Um, You can't generalize from action research. Okay, so I get asked this question a lot by teachers in my workshop. Oh, but this is only one small piece of research in my small classroom, you know, what, so what? What difference does it make? Well, it's not generalizable research. But what I think it is, is it can be described as illustrative research. And I think illustrative research is very powerful for other teachers because while the circumstances may not be exactly the same, they will be similar to a lot of other situations the teachers are facing. And many of the the topics that teachers, in my experience, are interested in researching are ones that lots of teachers face in the classroom every day. You know, how to get students more motivated to speak in the classroom, how to introduce listening activities which are effective, A lot of the kind of questions and topics are very relatable by other teachers. So I think that generalizability is not something we have to kind of worry about. So that's one thing. On writing, I think writing is a powerful cognitive process. And once you have done something 
uh, in the classroom, which is really interesting. It really helps our thoughts and insights to, and understanding to develop when we can write it up or recall it or set it down as a kind of narrative or story of what we've done. And again, a lot of teachers I worked with have said the writing up was really useful. It made me think further about what it was that I'd done, what I'd experienced and what I discovered. And it made me see it in a new way. And I could read it over and I could uh, look at it again or I could show it to somebody else and get their reactions to it if I wanted to. So I think the writing up process is extremely valuable. I'm a pretty strong advocate for teachers writing to get out there. One of the real criticisms that's leveled against actual research is there isn't enough of it and you can't read it and teachers don't publish it. So most of the teachers that I work with are asked to publish their research in some way. And Cambridge English have very kindly allowed us to write up the teacher's research for publication in Research Notes, their journal. So if your listeners are interested in looking at some of the action research that teachers have written here in Australia, you can just Google Research Notes um, from Cambridge English. Uh, English, Cambridge English Assessment, and you will find lots and lots of accounts of what teachers here in Australia did uh, with their action research. So I, I take the view that having done great pieces of research very often, teachers in classrooms doing these terrific things and researching what they're doing, uh, they have a right to tell other teachers, you know, it's, it's really valuable, I think, that other people can read their research. And we need more action research. We need more accounts, published accounts by teachers of um, what they've researched and, and how they did it so that others can, um, can read about that too. And I might even go further and say the academic field needs more insight from real people in the classroom like teachers who are the end users of all the theoretical ideas that are supposedly done in the name of improving English language teaching, we need a sort of more mutual two-way street between the classroom and the academic research that's done so that either side can get insights from the other side. One more time, everyone, that was Professor Anne Burns. If you enjoyed the episode and you'd like to find out more from Anne about action research, check out her book, Perspectives on Action Research from Cambridge University Press. For more podcasts, check out our website, www.tefeltraininginstitute.com, and we'll see you again next time. Goodbye.